everybody and welcome to the Growing Upcast Weekly Feel Good Podcast. This week we talk more about Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol. I talk about the latest Star Wars film. And I finally finished watching The Mandalorian as the rest of us did. Let's get right into it. That's right, this week we listen to Chapter 3 of Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol, The Ghost of Christmas Present. I talk about the rise of Skywalker, that Fallen Order Jedi game, and what I thought of The Mandalorian and the state of Disney Plus as a whole. But first, before we get into any of that, I wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping because we've been back on the air for a little while now, and I haven't done this in a hot minute. So let's do it real quick. Number one. If you like the Going Up Cast and you would like to support the Going Up Cast, there's lots of ways you can do that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash going up cast, where you can become a $5 Patreon supporter and have access to the monthly live streams, which act as a sort of QA behind the scenes, and we just get together and have a good old fashioned chat. You can also go to goingupcast.com forward slash store, where you can buy a mystery book, which could be literally anything. Or you can have me read a book of your choosing. The pricing structure is found at goingupcast.com forward slash store. You can also go to facebook.com slash goingupcast and follow us there. And you will see me post links to all of the new episodes, those fun little blurbs and stuff like that. Or you can follow me at Instagram at goingupcast. Those are all the places you can find me. And the more people, you know, that hop on those things, the bigger this podcast becomes and the more people get to listen to me rant about books and shit. You can also leave a review on iTunes. It helps so, so much to do that. And I would be forever appreciative if you were to do so. But that's enough housekeeping nonsense. Let's get right into Christmas Carol. Alrighty. Once again, right back into Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, Steve Three, the second of the three spirits. Awakening in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore and sitting up in bed to get his thoughts together, Scrooge had no occasion to be told that the bell was again upon the stroke of one. He felt that he was restored to consciousness in the right nick of time for the special purpose of holding a conference with the second messenger that dispatched him through Jacob Marley's intervention. But finding that he turned uncomfortably cold when he began to wonder which of his curtains this new specter would draw back, he put them he put them every one aside with his own hands and lying down again established a sharp lookout all around the bed for he wished to challenge the spirit on the moment of its appearance and did not wish to be taken by surprise and made nervous gentlemen of the free and easy sort who plumbed themselves on being acquainted with a move or two and being usually equal to the time of day expressed the wide range for their capacity of their capacity for adventure by observing that they are good for anything from pitch and toss to manslaughter between which opposite extremes, no doubt, there lies a tolerably wide and comprehensive range of subjects. Without venturing for Scrooge quite as heartily as this, I don't mind calling on you to believe that he was ready for a good broad field of strange appearances, and that nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. That is quite a paragraph. I'm not reading that one again. Now, being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing, and consequently, when the bell struck one and no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes... Ten minutes. A quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. All this time he lay upon his bed, the very core and center of a blaze of ruddy light, which streamed upon it when the clock proclaimed the hour, and which, being the only light, was more alarming than a dozen ghosts, as he was powerless to make out what it meant, or would be at, and was sometimes apprehensive that he might be at that very moment an interesting case of spontaneous combustion without having the consolation of knowing it. At last, however, he began to think, as you or I would have thought at first, for it is always a person not in the predicament who knows what ought to have been done in it, and would unquestionably have done it too. At last, I say, he began to think that the source and secret of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room, for whence, on further tracing, it seemed to shine. This idea taking full possession of his mind, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. I like that comment. Uh, where, what was it? Um... At last, he began to think, as you or I would have thought at first, for it is always the person not in the predicament who knows what ought to have been done in it and what unquestionably have done too. That, yeah, you know, everybody always goes like, oh, this is what the character should have done in the in the whole 2020 hindsight uh, thingamajig. So, yeah, Dickens fucking nailed it right there. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called him by his name and bade him enter. He obeyed. It was his own room, there was no doubt about that, but it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so huge, or so hung, 
with living green that looked a perfect grove for every part of which um from every part of which bright gleamed berry gleaming berries glistened fuck the crispy leaves of holly mistletoe and ivy reflected back the light as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as that dull perfection or petrification of a hearth had never known in scrooge's time or marley's for many and or or for many and many a winter season gone Heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, suckling pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pearls, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious stem. What is the relation to oysters being a part of, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas? I never understood that. Apparently in some, like, households the stuffing will have oysters in it and i'm sitting here wondering if there isn't something else that i am aware of that is a common staple in these cuisines that also goes by the name of oyster or if there's just shellfish in my turkey because that to me does not sound very good so i'm wondering if there's something else like maybe oyster mushrooms maybe is what they're talking about i don't know but if it is oysters then that's gross and i don't like it in easy state upon this couch, there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in a shape not unlike Plenty's horn, and held it up high, high up to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do the the ghost of Christmas present from uh, uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. Come in! Exclaimed the ghost. Ghost. Come in and know me better, man. <laughs> Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before the spirit. He was not the dog and Scrooge he had been. Though, uh, and though the spirit's eyes were clear and kind, he did not like to meet them. I am the ghost of Christmas present, said the spirit. Look upon me. Scrooge reverently did so. It was clothed in one simple green robe or mantle bordered with white fur. This garment hung so loosely on the figure that with its capacious breast was bare as if disdaining to be warded or concealed by any artifice. I'll take a swig of beer. Its feet, observable, observable, damn, beneath the ample folds of the garment, were also bare, and on its head it wore no other covering than a holly wreath set here and there with shining icicles. Its dark brown curls were long and free, free as its genial face, its sparkling eyes, its open hand, its cheery voice, its unconstrained demeanor, and its joyful air. Girded round its middle was an ancient scabbard, but no sword was in it, and the ancient sheath was eaten up with rust. You have never seen the like of me before, exclaimed the spirit. Never, Scrooge made to answer. Have never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning, for I am very young, my elder brothers born in these later years, pursued the phantom. I don't think I have, said Scrooge. I am afraid I have not. Have you had many brothers, spirit? More than 800, said the ghost. A tremendous family to provide for, muttered Scrooge. The ghost's Christmas present rose. Spirit, said Scrooge submissively, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learnt a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. Holly mistletoe, red berries, ivy, turkey, geese, game, poultry, brawn, meat, pig, sausages, oysters, pies, pudding, fruit, punch, all vanished. Instantly. So did the room, the fire, the ruddy glow, the hour of the night. And they stood in the city streets on Christmas morning, where, for the weather was severe, people made a rough but brisk and not unpleasant kind of music in scraping the snow from the pavement in front of their dwellings and from the top of their houses, whence it was mad delight to the boys to see it come plumping down in the road below and splitting into artificial little snowstorms. These house fronts looked black enough and the windows blacker, contrasting with the smooth white sheet of snow upon the roofs and with the dirty snow upon the ground which last deposit had been plowed up in deep furrows by the heavy wheels of carts and wagons, furrows that crossed and recrossed each other hundreds of times where the great streets branched off and made intricate channels hard to trace in the thick yellow mud and icy water. The sky was gloomy and the shortest streets were choked up with a dingy mist half thawed half frozen whose heavier particles descended in a shower of sooty atoms as if all the chimneys in Great Britain had by one consent caught fire and were blazing away in their dear hearts consent. There was nothing very cheerful in the climate or the town, and yet there was an air of cheerfulness abroad that the clearest summer air and brightest summer sun might have endeavored to diffuse in vain. 
For the people who were shoveling away on their housetops were joyfully uh, jovial and full of glee, calling out to one another from the parapets and now and then exchanging a fastidious snowball. Better-natured missile far than many a wordy jest, laughing heartily if it went right and not less heartily, um, not less heartily if it went wrong. The poulterers' shops were still half open and the fruiterers were radiant in their glory. There were great round pot-bellied baskets of chestnuts, shaped like waistcoats of jolly old men lolling at the doors, tumbling out into the streets in their apoplectic opulence. Man, the fucking word choice in these books. There were ruddy, brown-faced, broad-girthed Spanish onions shining in the fatness of their growth like Spanish friars, and winking from their shelves in wanton slyness at the girls as they went by and glanced demurely at the hung-up mistletoe. There were pears and apples clustered in blooming pyramids. There were bunches of grapes made in the shopkeeper's benevolence to dangle from conspicuous hooks that people's mouths might water gratis as they passed. There were piles of filberts, mossy and brown, recalling in their fragrance ancient walks among the woods and pleasant shuffling ankle-deep through withered leaves. There were no-fork biffins, squat and swarthy, set off the yellow of the oranges and uh, lemons and in the great compactness of their juicy persons, urgently entreating and beseeching to be carried home in paper bags and eaten after dinner. I challenge anybody to fucking read this book, as, like, most of the time, I'm nailing it, just for the record. Like, flawless execution. Fucking, you you give this shit a shot. You, everybody's, oh, you just get drunk and read books. It's hard fucking work. You really gotta pay attention. You really gotta, you really gotta know your shit. Anyway. <clears throat> The very gold and silver fish set forth among these choice fruits in a bowl. No members of a dull and stagnant blooded race appeared to have known that there was something going on and to a fish went gasping round and round their little world in slow and passionless excitement. The grocers, oh, the grocers nearly closed with perhaps two shutters down or one, but through those gaps such glimpses, it was not alone that the scales descended on the counter made a merry sound or that the twine and roller parted companies so briskly or that the canisters rattled up and down like juggling tricks or even that the blended scent of tea and coffee were so grateful to the nose or even that the raisins were so plentiful and rare, the almonds so extremely white, the sticks of cinnamon so long and straight, the other spices so delicious, the candy fruit so t caked and spotted with molten sugar as to make the coldest lookers-on feel faint and subsequently bilious. Nor was it that the figs were moist and pulpy, or that the French plums blushed its modest tartness for their, um, from their highly decorated boxes, or that everything was good to eat and in its Christmas dress, but the customers were also heard in so eager and hopeful promise of the day that they tumbled up against each other at the door, crashing their wicker baskets wildly and left their purchases upon the counter, came running back to fetch them and committed hundreds of the like mistakes in the best humor possible. When the grocer and his people were so frank and fresh that uh, their, uh, that the polished hearts with which they fastened their aprons behind them uh, might have been their own, weren't outside for general inspection and for Christmas daws to peck at if they choose. But soon the steeples called good people all the, to the church and chapel, and away they came, flocking through the streets in their best clothes and with their gayest faces. At the same time, they emerged from scores of by streets, lanes, and nameless tunings, innumerable people carrying their dinners to the baker's shop. The sight of these poor revelers appeared to interest the spirit very much, for he stood with Scrooge beside him in the baker's doorway, and taking off the covers as their bearers passed, sprinkling incense on their dinners from his torch. It was a very uncommon kind of torch, for once or twice when there were angry words between some dinner carriers who had jostled each other, he shed a few drops of water on them from it, and their good humor was restored directly. For they said it was a shame to quarrel upon Christmas Day. And so it was! God love it, so it was! In time, the bells ceased and the bakers were shut up, and yet there was a, gen a genial shadowing forth of all these dinners and the progress of their cooking in the thawed blotch of wet above each baker's oven, where the pavement smoked as if the stones were cooking too. Is there a particular flavor in what you sprinkle from your torch? adds Scrooge. There is! My own! Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? asked Scrooge. To any kindly given, to a poor one most. Why to a poor one most? asked Scrooge. Because it needs it the most. Spirit, said Scrooge, after a moment's thought. I wonder you, of all the beings in the many worlds about us, should desire to cramp these people's opportunities of innocent enjoyment. I, cried the spirit, you would deprive them of their means of dining every seventh day, often the only day in which it can be said to dine at all, said Scrooge. Wouldn't you? I, cried the spirit. You seek to close these places on the seventh day, asked Scrooge, and it comes to the same thing. I seek, exclaimed the spirit, 
Forgive me if I am wrong. It has been done in your name, or at least in that of your family, said Scrooge. There are some upon this earth of yours, returned the spirit, who lay claim to know us, who and who do their deeds of passionate pride, ill-willed hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name, who are as strange to us and all our kith and kin, as if they had never lived, remember that, and charge their doings on themselves, not us. Scrooge promised that he would. And they went on invisible as they had been before into the suburbs of the town. It was a remarkably qual it was a remarkable quality of the ghost, which Scrooge had observed at the baker's, that notwithstanding his gigantic size, he could accommodate himself in any place with ease, and that he stood beneath a low roof quite as gratefully and like a supernatural creature as it was possible that he could have done in any lofty hall. Perhaps it was the pleasure of the good spirit that um, had in showing off this power of his, or else it was his own kind, generous, hearty nature, and his sympathy with all poor men that led him straight to Scrooge's clerk. For there he went, and Scrooge with him, holding his robe, and on the threshold of the door, the spirit smiled, and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sprinkling of his torch. Think of that. Bob had but fifteen bob a week himself, and he pocketed on Saturdays but fifteen copies of his Christian name, and yet the ghost of Christmas present blessed his four-roomed house. Then up rose Mrs. Cratchit, Cratchit's wife, dressed out all but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, which are cheap and made a goodly show for sixpence. She laid the cloth, assisted by Belinda Cratchit, second of her daughters, also a brave in ribbons. While Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes, getting the corners of his monstrous shirt collar, Bob's private property, conjured upon his son and heir in honor of the day, into his mouth and rejoiced to find himself so gallantly attired, and yet and yearned to show his linen in the fashionable parks. And now the two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming that outside the bakers they had smelt the goose and known it for their own, and basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onion, these young Cratchits danced around the table, exalted master and exalted Master Peter Cratchit to the skies, while he, not proud, although his collar nearly choked him, blew the fire until the slow potatoes bubbling up, uh, until the slow potatoes bubbling up knocked loudly at the saucepan lid to be let out and peeled. Oh God! Okay, I got to come up with some Cratchit voices here. So, the last Star Wars Skywalker saga film has finally landed in theaters. I saw it twice um, in theaters. And that's not because it's like a really good movie that needs to be seen in theaters twice. It just happened to play out this way. Um, my, my official stance on this film is that if you're a really big Star Wars fan and you like Star Wars movies, you're going to like the movie probably if you enjoyed Episode Seven. If you enjoyed episode 8 more than episode 7, you probably will not like this movie. Um, it's got a lot of fan service in it. It does feel a lot like The Force Awakens did, um, which isn't a bad thing in my head. This this movie is like... I've got a lot of feelings on this movie, but most of them are negative, so I'm not going to uh, really ramble on because that goes against the, the whole point of the podcast. But I, I think... It does a satisfactorily acceptable job of wrapping up this entire story to the point where I'm satisfied and eager for the next thing. I don't I don't want the next thing to be like it seems like we've been talking about the Jedi and the Sith conflict for a long time and I'm eager to move on to something new and different. So I'm hopeful that they will do that because I know they're not going to stop making Star Wars movies. I just want them to go in another direction with it. Things like uh, Star Wars Rebels and The Mandalorian are taking these these other stories involved in the world of Star Wars and I find those to be more compelling because it's easier to relate to some Joe Schmo just kind of dicking his way through the galaxy than it is to relate to a, a space wizard fighting some grand evil. Um, and it's it's irritating to me because this sort of story, you know, the whole good versus evil, light versus dark, um, the, the dark side versus the, the Jedi, has been told, A, before, B, told before in the same saga of films, and told better in the same saga of films. Like, it's... It feels like they put a lot of money into redoing what they already did kind of worse. Um, I never I never really connected with any of these characters like Ray or Finn or Poe. 
Um, the, the way they converse in this movie, their kind of snappy back and forth dialogue would be more, um, at home in like a family guy episode than in a fucking star Wars movie. In my opinion, raises hands. I might be the only one on that one, but I, I thought that was a little strange. I mean, the movie looks visually cool because it always does. Cause it's star Wars. But at this point, like if you if the only good part about your movie is how it physically looks like visually, I don't know. I don't know, but like that's not exactly a high bar to pass anymore. You know, it's it's kind of expected. If your movie doesn't look visually interesting and you're doing this sort of shit, then that's just that's a huge mark against you. But it does not add points to making your movie better. Um, I think if you're a super big Star Wars fan and you got the nostalgia blinders on, you're probably gonna have a good time with this movie because that's what I did. Um, there are definitely a lot of elements in this movie that come in out of nowhere that they just kind of expect you to nod your head and be like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Um, they bring up elements of weird interpersonal uh, conflicts that just kind of go away and never get addressed. Like, there's this bit, I don't think it's a spoiler, where Finn is like, Ray, I've got to tell you something. And then he gets interrupted. And he never tells her what he was going to tell her. Um, and I'm just like, well, then why even mention it from like a story point of view? It just doesn't do anything. It just makes us mad. Um, or made me mad. I will say, like, my favorite part of the movie, um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Palpatine's in this movie because you could, you saw that shit in the trailers. So, my favorite part of this movie was the aesthetic and physical appearance of Palpatine. That was fucking great. That was some fucking I have no mouth and I must scream horror future AI shit. That was fucking great. I loved everything about that. That's, pro that's the highlight of the movie was how they treated how he looked. Now that whole that whole thing fucking just kind of pitters out into nothing. But he looks super fucking cool when it pitters out into nothing. So A plus for that. That's probably like the best part of the movie in my opinion. It's decent. Um, there's nothing to really be gained in seeing it in the theaters except to not be spoiled on it, I guess. But there's so little in this movie to fucking spoil. It's like one thing and it doesn't even matter. It doesn't. So, you're fine. Just relax. Just go in and see this dumb space movie. And this dumb space movie that made me cry twice. Um, I don't want to... Like, so, it was... it was. I'll tell you when, when I cried. So, something came out of the water when there was an island. I'll say that. And um, when a character talks to another character from their past. Um, and has a big old... A big old, like, revelation. So, those moments um, were, what, were what made me... Uh, made me made me cry um just like ah oh, it hit me hit me hard um i enjoyed it i did i think the idea of watching all nine movies back to back is repugnant <laughs> to me because i would rather like if i'm gonna sit on my ass and watch a shit ton of movies you goddamn know it's either gonna be lord of the rings or lord of the rings so star wars episode nine i'm glad it's over and let us get back to the audiobook Mrs. Cratchit, McGonagall's voice. What has ever gotten your precious father then? Said Mrs. Cratchit. And your brother, Tiny Tim. And Martha wants us late as the last Christmas by half an hour. He's Mar Here's Martha, mother, said a girl appearing as she spoke. Here's Martha, mother, cried the two young Cratchits. Hurrah, there's such a goose, Martha. Why, bless him, your heart alive, my dear. How late are you? Said Mrs. Cratchit, kissing her a dozen times and taking off her shawl and bonnet off her with officious zeal. We had a deal to work of work to finish up last night, replied the girl, and had to clear it away this morning, mother. Well, never mind so long as you are come. Never so mind so long as you are come. Alrighty, said Mrs. Cratchit. Sit ye down before the fire, my dear, and have a Lord, warm Lord bless ye. No, no, there's father coming, cried the two young Cratchits, who were everywhere at once. Hide, Martha, hide. So Martha hid herself, and in came little Bob, the father, with at least three feet of comforter exclusive on the fringe hanging down before him and his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable and tiny tim upon his shoulders alas for tiny tim he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame why where's our martha cried bob cratchit looking around not coming said mrs cratchit not coming said bob with a sudden declension in his high spirits for he had been Tim's blood horse all the way from the church and had come home rampant. Not coming upon Christmas Day, 
Martha did not like to seem disappointed. If it were only a joke, so she came out prematurely from behind the closet door and ran into his arms while the two young Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim and bore him off into the wash house so that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper. These kids, these kids high, might hear the pudding singing in the copper. Okay. And how did little Tim behave? As Mrs. Cratchit, when she had rallied Bob on his credulity, Bob had hugged his daughter to his heart's content. As good as gold, Bob said, and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much, and he thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him at church because he was a cripple, and that he might be pleasant to remember upon Christmas Day, who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Bob's voice was tremulous when he told them this, and trembled more when he said that Tiny Tim was growing strong and hearty. His active little crutch was heard upon the floor and came back Tiny Tim uh, before another word had spoken, escorted by his brother and sister to the stool before the fire, and when Bob, turning up his cuffs, as if, poor fellow, they were capable of being made more shabby, compounded some hot mixture in a jug with gin and lemons, stirred it round and round and round, and put it on the hob to simmer. Master Peter who and the two ubiquitous young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a goose of the rarest of birds, a feathered phenomenon to which a black swan was a matter of course, and in truth there was something very like it in that house. Miss Cratchit made the gravy ready beforehand in a little saucepan hissing hot. Master Peter mashed potatoes with incredible vigor. Miss Belinda sweetened up the applesauce. Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table, and the two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves, and mounted guard upon their posts, crammed spoons in their mouths, lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped. At last, the dishes were set on, and the grace was said. It was succeeded by a breathless pause as Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it into the breast, but when she did, there was a long-expected gush of stuffing issuing forth. One murmur of delight rose all around the board, and even Tiny Tim, excited by the two young Cratchits, beat on the table with the handle of his knife and feebly cried, Hurrah! There was never such a goose. Um, Yeah. Bob said he didn't believe there was ever uh, was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavor, size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. Eked out by applesauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Indeed, as Mrs. Cratchit said with great delight, surveying one small atom of a bone upon a dish, they hadn't um, ate it all at last. They hadn't ate it all at last. Sure. Yet everyone had had enough, and the youngest Cratchit in particular was steeped in sage and onions to the eyebrows. But now the plates being changed by Miss Belinda, Miss Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witness to take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose somebody should have gone over the wall of the backyard stolen when they were making merry with the goose. All suppositions to, at which the two young Cratchits became livid. All sorts of horrors were supposed. Hello! A great deal of steam. The pudding was out of the copper. A smell like a washing day. That was the cloth. A smell like eating house and a pastry's next door uh, to each other. Uh, pastry cooks next door to each other. With a laundry's the next door to after that. That was the pudding. In half a minute, Mrs. Cratchit entered flushed, but smiling proudly. With the pudding like a speckled cannonball so hard and firm blazing in the half of half a quarter ignited brandy. And bedight with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Oh, wonderful pudding, Bob Cratchit said, and calmly too, that he regarded it as the greatest successful achieved, greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. Mrs. Cratchit, wow, you think this pudding is better than your goddamn children? This is, this is the best thing you've done since we got married, Mrs. Cratchit. But what about our fucking four children, you putz? I know what I said, bitch. <laughs> Mr. Cratchit said now the weight was off her mind. She would confess that she had had her doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been flat heresy to say so. Uh, any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. At last the dinner was all done, the cloth cleared, and the hearth swept and the fire made up. The compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect, apples and oranges were put upon the table, and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew around the hearth and in what Bob Cratchit called a circle, meaning half a one. And Bob Cratchit's elbow stood the family display of glass, two tumblers, and a custard cup without a handle. These held the hot stuff from the jug. However, as well a golden goblets would have done, Bob served it out with beaming looks while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and crackled noisily. Then Bob proposed, A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. With which the family re-echoed, God bless us, everyone. So Tiny Tim, last of all, he sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, 
said Scrooge, with an interest he had never felt before. Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost, in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, said Scrooge. Oh, no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race, returned the ghost, will find him here. What then? If he be if he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit and was overcome with penitence and grief. Man, said the ghost, if man you be in heart, not adamant, forbear that wicked cat until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Oh God! To hear the insect of the leaf pronouncing on the too much life among his hungry brothers in the dust. Scrooge bent down, bent before the ghost's rebuke and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground, but he raised them speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, said Bub, I give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed, cried Mrs. Cratchit, reddening. I wish I had him here. I give him a piece of my mind for the feast upon, and I'd have, and I'd hope he had a good appetite for it. My dear, said Bob, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, she said. On which one drinks to the health of an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, Bob's mild answer, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the days, said Mrs. Cratchit. Not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. The children drank. Uh, the toast after. It was the first of their proceedings which had had no hardiness. Tim drank last of all, but he did not care once upon for it. Scrooge was the ogre of the family. The mentioned in his name cast a dark shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for a full five minutes. After it passed away, there were ten times merrier than before for the mere relief of Scrooge the Baleful being done with. Bob Cratchit told them how he had a situation in his eye for a Master Peter, uh, for Master Peter, which would bring in and have obtained full five and six pence weekly. Two young Cratchits laughed tremendously at the idea of Peter being a man of business. Peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars as if he were deliberating what particular investments he should favor, when he came into receipt of that bewildering income. Martha, who was a poor apprentice to a milliner's, told them what kind of work she had to do, and how many hours she worked at a stretch, and how she meant to lie abed tomorrow morning for a good long rest. Tomorrow being a holiday, she passed at home. Also, how she had seen a countess and a lord some days before, and how the lord was, quote, much, was much about as tall as Peter at which Peter pulled up his collar so high that you couldn't see his head. If you had been there all this time, the chestnuts in the jug went round and round, and by and by they had a song about a lost child traveling in the snow from Tiny Tim, who had a plaintive little voice and sang it very well indeed. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Fuck Robin. Fuck Robin and his little screechy fucking... God damn it, this makes me so mad. He was only added to pad the runtime of the Muppet Show. You know it was. You know it was. All he does is he sits there and sings boring songs slowly. It's the worst. Anyway, where was I? There's nothing of high marks in this. They were not a handsome family. They were not well-dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty, and Peter might have known, and very likely did, the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, and pleased with one another, and contented with the time, and when they faded, looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting. Scrooge had had his eye upon them, but especially on Tiny Tim until the last. By this time, it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily, and as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens and parlors and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. Here, the flickering of the blaze shone preparations for a cozy dinner with hot plates baking through and through before the fire and deep red curtains ready to be drawn or uh, ready to be drawn to shut out cold and darkness. There, all the children in the house were running out into the snow to meet their married sisters, brothers, cousins, uncles, aunts, and to be the first to greet them. Here, again, were shadows on the window blinds of guests assembling. There were groups of handsome girls, all hooded and fur-booted and all chattering at once, tripped lightly uh, to some nearby neighbor house, where woe upon the single man who saw them enter, artful witches. Well, they knew it in a glow. 
But if you had judged from the numbers of people on their way to friendly gatherings, you might have thought that no one was at home to give them welcome when they got there, instead of every house expected company piling upon its fires half chimney high. Blessing on it, how the ghost exalted, excuse me, uh, bared its breath of breast and opened its capacious palm and floated on, outpouring with a generous hand its bright and harmless mirth on everything within reach. The very lamplighter who ran on before dotting the dusky streets with specks of lights, who was dressed to spend the evening somewhere, laughed out loud as the spirit passed, though little kenneled the lamplighter had he, um, that he had any company but Christmas. And now, without a word of warning from the ghost, they stood upon a bleak and deserted moor, where monstrous masses of rude stone were cast about, as though they were the burial place of giants, and the water spread itself wheresoever it listed, or would have done so, but for the frost that held it prisoner. Nothing grew but moss and furs. The fuck is that? Hold on. Googling this one. F-U-Z-R. F-U-Z- or F-U-R-Z-E. F-U-R-Z-E. Furs. Gorse is another word for it. Uh, yeah, it's a thorny evergreen shrubber, uh, native to parts of Western Europe and Northwest Africa, uh, with the majority of the species in Iberia. The fuck is Iberia? Um, uh, it's apparently an airline. The Iberian Peninsula. Uh, oh, so Spain. Spain and Portugal. Gotcha. Didn't know that. Learning something new every day. And coarse rank grass. Down in the west, the setting sun had left a streak of fiery red, which glared upon the desolation for an instant like a sullen eye, frowning lower, lower, lower yet, and was lost in the thick gloom of the darkest night. What place is this? asked Scrooge. A place where miners live who labor in the bowels of the earth, returned the spirit. But they know me, see? A light shone from the window of a hut, and swiftly they advanced towards it. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, they found a cheerful company assembled around a glowing fire. An old, old man and woman with their children and their children's children, another generation beyond that, all decked out gaily in their holiday attire. The old man, in a voice that seldom rose above the howling of the wind upon the barren wastes, was singing them a Christmas song. It had been a very old song when he was a boy, and from time to time they all joined in the chorus. So surely that they raised their voices, the old man got quite blithe and laughed, and so surely they stopped, his vigor sank again. The spirit did not tarry here, but bade Scrooge hold his rope, and passing on above the moor, sped, whither? Not to see. To see! To Scrooge's horror, looking back, he saw the last of the land, a frightful range of rocks behind them, and his ears were deafened by the thundering of water as they rolled, as it rolled and roared, and raged among the dreadful caverns that it warned, and fiercely tried to undermine the earth. Built upon a dismal reef of sunken rocks, some leagues or so from shore, on which the water chafed and dashed, the wild year clung. There stood a solitary lighthouse. Great heaps of seaweed clung to its base. The storm birds, the born on the wind, one might suppose, as seaweed on the water, rose and fell about it like the waves they skimmed. So, I know I just dumped all over fucking Star Wars, not but 30 minutes ago, but I'm here to tell you that as mediocre as I thought Rise of Skywalker was, I can tell you that The Mandalorian is fucking great. So, you know, The Mandalorian is really good because unlike the fucking Star Wars movies, The Mandalorian is just some fucking dude. He's, he's, he's got, like, no horse in the race when it comes to this big battle of good versus evil. He's just trying to make his own way. So, right off the gate, we're way more relatable to just, like, average individuals. So, I like that a lot. I will also say that one of the greatest failings of the newest trilogy is the inability for me to care about Ray, Poe, and Finn. That is not the problem with The Mandalorian. We've got The Mandalorian, you got Carl Weathers, you got Gina Carano. I, I'm saying their actor names because I don't remember what their character names are, but I don't really care that I don't remember what their character names are because the three of them have such great chemistry and it really comes together in that final fucking episode, which is just amazing. Um, I saw some articles the other day of people being like, well, now that The Mandalorian is done and the next season of The Mandalorian doesn't come out until like fall of next year and Disney hasn't announced like fucking anything to fill the gap between now and then in terms of like fun new shows, everybody's just going to cancel their Disney Plus subscription. And I, I thought about that and I'm like, well, if you're only there for Star Wars, then yeah, I guess that makes sense. But I would like to think that the majority of the people using Disney Plus are also just super goddamn nostalgic for Disney shit. Um, I mean, that's why I, I got it, really. The Mandalorian was just a fun bonus. I did not get Disney Plus for The Mandalorian. I got Disney Plus so I could fucking watch Muppet Treasure Island whenever the goddamn fuck I want. So, 
Yeah, there's that. But The Mandalorian is excellent. It is the best thing that Disney has done with the Star Wars license since they got it. And it's probably my favorite bit of Star Wars media, if I'm perfectly honest. I would rather watch The Mandalorian again than, like, any of the movies or fucking any of the the TV Like, The Mandalorian, it's just, it's really good. They put the money into it, so the special effects are incredible. They tell you enough about the characters in order for you to relate and care about them. You get little hints about, like, this kind of grander thing going on. And then the show ends in a pretty classic Star Wars way, where the trio comes together and they, you know, they do some shit, and then they all have to, like, do their own thing. And I'm saying they're being like, I am so full of hope for all these characters and their missions. And I can't wait to come back in a year and see like where everybody's at and what's going on and what thing brings them back together to fight a new thing. Like, you know, it's just, I like it. I, I do. It, it, it makes me, it makes you smile. It's, it's comedy is really well done. Um, like the lighthearted moments of the show are excellent. And when it gets like heavy and hard, it's also really good. Um, the action in it, it's really good. It feels like you're watching Star Wars. It feels like you're watching Star Wars more than some of the other fucking things of Star Wars. It's It does its job incredibly well. And it is just a really fucking good show. I very much enjoyed it. I liked the, the kind of like superstar cast. Um, I, I, yeah, I just, I would, I would highly recommend it. It's, it's wonderful. Um, I can't wait for season two. And I hope people maintain their Disney Plus stuff so they keep making this shit because, like, all these people about to can't, like, you know, I, like, when fucking Game of Thrones season eight ended and people canceled their HBO stuff, I understood that 100% because the show was over. And I'm like, this show isn't over, it's just getting started. You gotta fucking just wait. You gotta wait for the new season. Oh, what a novel idea. People complaining that there's nothing else to watch. And I'm like, welcome to all TV always. Usually there's one fucking show on a channel you like. And, like, I suppose people would absolutely end their subscriptions and renew to, like, you know, fucking CBS and stuff if they could. Um, it's just, you know, you know? Yeah. Anyway, Mandalorian, real good. Real good. I also heard Togo was really good, but I haven't seen it yet, so I have no no opinion on that. But, yeah, there you go. This, that's, that's more Star Wars stuff for you. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Actually, hold on. Let's, before I do that... Because I don't have enough to talk about this other Star Wars thing. I'm just going to lump it in here. Um, the fucking Star Wars Fallen Order Jedi video. The new Star Wars game. The new one. Um, I've played it for a bit. I'm going to play it for a bit more. But my initial um, impact from the game is... Eh, it's it's alright. It's, it's, there's a lot of Dark Souls going on. But it's not particularly good Dark Souls. It's kind of more bloodborne where you have to dodge a lot, which is fine, but I don't feel like the controls are as snappy as it is in Dark Souls. Um, so there's a lot of like you getting hit by dumb shit. Um, that is more the fault of the the iffy controls than it is the player. Um, the whole kind of like, here's a path you can't go down until you get a skill and you don't get that skill for another four hours and then you have to come back here in order to go down there so you get a different colored poncho or a, a new knob to put on your lightsaber um, there's a bit of that there's a bit of like what like Metroidvania explorative content going on so it's like a blend of a bunch of different games, which isn't bad but I don't I'm not into the story yet, and there's not a lot keeping me moving forward. I like uh, a game to have a fairly concise... Well, most of the time, I like a game to have a fairly concise, linear plot that just goes on for a really long time. Like, if a game just opens up into a world like Skyrim or Breath of the Wild, and it's like, you can go fucking anywhere and just explore and have a good time. Nine times out of ten, those fucking explorations aren't full of a lot of stuff like there's a lot of big empty spaces and i'm like your game is big but there's nothing in it so i get bored and then i get lost and then i don't remember what the fuck i was doing about it so i get back to remembering what i was doing i like i don't care anymore and then i drop the game forever like i never beat skyrim i own skyrim on three different consoles and i never beat it because i get bored and i move on I feel like that's what's going to happen with this game. It's a big fucking explore-a-thon. You backtrack a lot to unlock shit that doesn't matter. And I'm just like, eh, I don't want to do that. Like, if I if I think about, like, my favorite games, 
right? My favorite games. We got what? Diablo 2, Lord of Destruction. So Dungeon Crawler. The combat in that game is really fun. And there's just enough story to keep you going. But more or less, it's just about killing monsters and getting loot so you can kill monsters better. That's what that game's about. And it's super simple. And it's easy to play. And you just fucking sink your teeth into it and you're gone. And I'm like, yes, let's go. Let's do it. Awesome. I got enough shit here to keep me interested. Keep going. I want to get new abilities to kill monsters better. I want to see the new monsters. I want to kill the bosses. I want to get the cool legendary loot. Like, that's what keeps you going. Same for World of Warcraft. Same same exact fucking shit. World of Warcraft, the world is great. I love, I love that world to explore and stuff. And just, like, go from town to town and kill, like, you know, epics and shit. And get dungeons. And, like, I love it. It's great. Persona 5 pretty goddamn linear story but it's just massive it's like an hour and ten it's 110 hours of fucking shit in that game and you can do a bunch of different stuff but it's like all pretty well structured and you actually want to do that stuff because you care about the characters and what's happening so with the new star wars game it's i don't know much about the characters their their plights because i'm pretty sick of the whole jedi sith shit and that's kind of what this game's built on it's hard to hard to get motivated to uh to keep on trucking on that one um but who knows maybe i'll maybe i'll keep going and something will happen and i'll just be like oh now i'm in it now i'm in this shit let's go yes 100 percent um i doubt it but who knows but at the same time i know the next game i'm super hyped for is cyberpunk 2077 and i cannot wait to explore every goddamn inch of that city every i want to go to every bar i want to unlock every song I want to get all the fucking cool cyber bits and put them in my face. Oh, it's going to be good. Um, yeah, that's enough about Star Wars in this corner. Let's move on back to the audiobook. But even here, two men who watched the lighthead made a fire and threw, that, the, uh, threw the loophole in the thick stone wall, shed out a ray of brightness on the awful sea. Draining their horny hands over the rough table at which they sat, they wished each other Merry Christmas in their can of grog, and one of them, the elder too, with his face all damaged and scarred with hard weather, as the figurehead of an old ship might be, struck up a sturdy song that was like a gale in and of itself. Again, the ghost sped on above the black and heaving sea, on and on until being far away as he told Scrooge from any shore, they lighted upon a ship. They stood beside the helmsman at the wheel and the lookout in the bow and the officers who had the watch, dark and ghostly figures in their several stations. But every man among them hummed a Christmas tune or had a Christmas thought or spoke below his breath to his companions of some bygone Christmas day with homeward hopes belonging to it. And every man on board, waking or sleeping, good or bad, had had a kinder word for another on that day than any other day in the year and had shared to some extent in its festivities and had remembered those he cared for at a distance and had known they delighted in remembering him it was a great surprise to scrooge while listening to the moaning of the wind and thinking what a solemn thing it was to move on through the lonely darkness of an unknown abyss whose depths were secret as profound as death it was it was a great surprise to scrooge while thus engaged to hear a hearty laugh it was much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognize it as his own nephew's and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room with the spirit standing and smiling beside him and looking at that same nephew with approving affability. Ha ha! Laughed Scrooge's nephew. Ha ha ha! If you should happen by any unlikely chance to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, 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 all I can say is I should like to know him too. Introduce me to him and I'll cultivate his acquaintance. It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things that while there is infection in disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. When Scrooge's nephew laughed in his way, holding his sides, rolling his head, and twisting his face into the most extravagant contortions, Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he, and their assembled friends, being not a bit behinded, roared out lustily. Oh, boy. Stop roaring lustily. Never do that. Don't roar lustily, please. Please, for the, for the sake of my own, my own sanity, just don't do it. <laughs> he said that Christmas was a humbug as I live, cried Scrooge's nephew. He believed it too. More shame for him, Fred, said Scrooge's niece indignantly. Bless those women, they never do anything by halves. They are always in earnest. She was very pretty, exceedingly pretty, with a dimpled, surprised-looking capital face, a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed, as no doubt it was, all good, all kinds of good little dots about her chin that melted into one another when she laughed, and the sunniest pair of eyes you ever saw in any little creature's head, although she was what you would have called provoking, you know, but satisfactory, too. Oh, perfectly satisfactory. That's 
I'm a little creepy. He's a comical old fellow, Scrooge's nephew said. That's the truth and not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he is very rich, Fred, hinted Scrooge's niece. At least you always tell me so. What of that, my dear, said Scrooge's nephew. His wealth is of no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. He doesn't make himself comfortable with it. He has the satisfaction of thinking <laughs> that he's ever going to benefit us with it. I have no patience with him, observed Scrooge's niece. Scrooge's niece's sisters and all other ladies expressed the same opinion. Oh, I have, said Scrooge's nephew. I am sorry for him. I can be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims himself always? Here, he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? He don't lose much of a dinner. Um, indeed. I think he loses a very good dinner, interrupted Scrooge's niece. Everyone else said the same, and they must be allowed to have been competent. competent. Jesus. Judges, because they have just had dinner, and with the dessert upon the table were clustered round the fire by lamplight. Well, I'm very glad to hear it, said Scrooge's nephew, because I haven't great faith in these young housekeepers. What do you say, Topper? Topper had clearly gotten his eye upon one of Scrooge's niece's sisters, for he answered that a bachelor was a wretched outcast, who had no right to express an opinion on the subject, whereat Scrooge's niece's sister, the plump one with the lace tucker, not the one with the roses, blushed. Blushed. Do go on, Fred, said Scrooge's niece, clasping her hands. He never finishes what begins to say. He's such a ridiculous fellow. Scrooge's nephew reveled in another laugh, and as it was impossible to keep the infection off through the plump sister tried hard to do with aromatic vinegar, his example was unanimously followed. I was going to say, said Scrooge's nephew, that the consequence of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us is, as I think, that he loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm. I am sure he loses pleasanter company than he can find in his own thoughts, either in his moldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him. If he finds me going there in good temper year after year, saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. It was their turn to laugh now at the notion of his shaking Scrooge, but being thoroughly good natured, not much caring at what they laughed at, so they all laughed at any rate. He encouraged them in their merriment and passed the bottle joyously. After tea, they had some music! For they were a musical family and knew what they were about when they sung a glee or catch. I can assure you, especially Topper, who could growl away in the bass like a good one, never swell the large vein his forehead and get red in the face over it. Scrooge's niece played well on, upon the harp and played, among other tunes, a simple little air, a mere nothing. You might learn to whistle it in a two-minute period. Which had been familiar to child who to the child who fetched Scrooge from the boarding school as he had been reminded by the ghost of Christmas past. When the strain of music sounded, all the things that the ghost had shown him came upon him, uh, his mind. He softened more and more and thought that he um, could have listened to it often years ago, that he might have cultivated the kindness of life for his own happiness with his own hands and without resorting to the sect and spade that buried Jacob Marley. But they didn't devote the whole evening to music. After a while, they played at forfeits, for it is good to be children sometimes and never better than at Christmas, where it is its mighty founder was a child himself. Stop! It was the first game of a blind man's bluff. Of course there was, and I no more believed Topper was really blind than I believe he had eyes in his boots. My opinion is that um, it was a done thing between him and Scrooge's nephew, and that the ghost of Christmas present knew it. The way he went after that plump sister and the lace tucker was an outrage on the credulity of human nature. Knocking down the fire irons, tumbling over chairs, bumping against the piano, smothering himself among the curtains. Wherever she went, there he was. He always knew where the plump sister was. He wouldn't catch anybody else. If you had fallen up against him, as some of them did on purpose, he would have made a feint to endeavoring to seize you, with which you had have been affronted to your understanding and would have instantly sidled off in the direction of the plump sister. She often cried out that it wasn't fair, and it really was not. But when at last he caught her, when, in spite of all of her silken rustlings and her rapid flutterings past him, he had gotten her in a quarter where there was no escape, and then his conduct was most ex irascible irascible yeah for his pretending not to know her is pretending that it was necessary to touch her headdress to further assure himself of her identity by pressing a certain ring upon her finger a certain chain about her neck was vile monstrous no doubt she told him uh, her opinion of it when another blind man being in office they were so very confidential together behind the curtains Scrooge's niece was not one of the blind man's buff parties, but made comfortable in a large chair and footstool in a snug corner where the ghost and Scrooge were close behind her. But she joined in the forfeit and loved her love to loved her love to admiration 
uh, with all the letters of the alphabet. Likewise, at the game of how, when, and where, she was very great, and the secret joy to Scrooge's nephew beat her sister's hollow, though they were sharp girls too, and Topper, as Topper could have told you. They might have been 20 people there, young and old, but they all played, and so did Scrooge, for wholly forgetting in his interest he had in what was going on that his voice made no sound in their ears. Sometimes came out with the guests quite loud, very often guests quite right too, for the sharpest needle, best wit chapel, warned him not to cut in the eye, it was not sharper than Scrooge, blunt as he took it in his head to be. The ghosts were greatly pleased to find him in the mood, but looked upon him with such favor that he begged like a boy to be allowed to stay until the guests departed. But this, the spirit said, could not be done. Here's a new game, said Scrooge. One half hour, spirit, only one. It was a game called Yes or No, where Scrooge's nephew had to think of something, and the rest must find out what. Uh, he only answered the questions yes or no, as the case was. The brisk fire questioning of of questioning to which he was exposed elicited from him that he was thinking of an animal live animal a rather disagreeable animal a savage animal an animal that growled and grunted sometimes that talked sometimes that lived in london walked about the streets and wasn't made of a show of it and wasn't led by anybody and didn't live in a menagerie and was never killed in a market and was not a horse or an ass or a cow or a bull or a tiger or a dog or a pig or a cat or a bear at the end at Every fresh question that was put to him, this nephew burst into a fresh roar of laughter and was so inexpressibly tickled that he felt obliged to get up off the sofa and stamp. At last, the plump sister, falling into a similar state, cried out, I found it out! I know what it is, Fred! I know what it is! What is it? cried Fred. It's your Uncle Scrooge! Which it certainly was. Admiration was the universal sentiment, though some objected uh, to the reply that, Is it a bear? Ought to have been, Yes. Inasmuch as an answer in a negative way was sufficient to have diverted their thoughts from Scrooge, uh, supposing they had ever had any tendency that way. He's given us plenty of merriment, I am sure, said Fred. It would be ungrateful not to drink to a set. Here is a glass of mulled wine ready in our hand at the moment. I say, Uncle Scrooge. Well, Uncle Scrooge, they cry. Merry, happy Christmas and happy new year to the old man, wherever he is, said Scrooge. He wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nevertheless. Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge had imperceptibly come so gay and light of heart that he would have pledged the unconscious company in return and thanked them in his inaudible speech if the ghost had given him time. But the whole scene passed off the breath of the last word spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw and far they went, and many homes they visited, but all with happy cheer. The spirits stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful on foreign lands, and they were close to home by struggling men. They were patient in their greater hope by poverty, and it was rich. In almshouse and hospitals and jail, in misery is every refuge where vain man and his little brief authority had not made fast the door and barred the spirit out. He left his blessing and taught Scrooge's his precepts. It was a long night. If it were only a night, but Scrooge had had his doubts of this, because Christmas holidays appeared uh, to be condensed in space-time, they passed together. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it until they left a child's twelfth night party, when, looking at the spirit as they stood together in an open place, he noticed that the hair was gray. A spirit alive, short-lived, asked, asked Scrooge. My life upon this globe is very brief, replied the ghost. It ends tonight. Tonight! cried Scrooge. Tonight and midnight! Hark! The time is drawing near! The chimes were ringing the three quarters past eleven at that moment. Forgive me, if I am not justified in what I ask, asked Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's ropes. But I see something strange and not belonging to yourself, protruding from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for the flesh is there upon it, was the spirit's solar for a reply. Look here! From the foldings of its robes, it brought two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garment. Oh man, look here, look, look, down here, exclaimed the ghost. They were a boy and girl, yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility. Where graceful youth should have filled out their features and touched them with fresh tints, a stale and shriveled hand, like that of age, had pinched and twisted them and pulled them to shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned, devils lurked and glared at menacingly. No change, no degradation, no pervasion of humanity in any grade through all the mysteries of wonderful creation had monsters half so horrible and dread. Scrooge stared back, appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say they were fine children, but the words choked themselves rather than be parties to a lie of such enormous magnitude. Spirits, are they yours? Scrooge could say no more. They are man's, replied the spirit, looking down upon them. And they cling to me, the peeling from their fathers. This boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware them both, 
and all their degree, for most of all beware this boy, for on his brow I see that written which is doom. Unless the writing be erased, deny it, cried the spirit, stretching out its hands toward the city. Slander to those who tell it ye. Admit it, uh, admit it for your fastidious purpose, and make it worse, and abide to the end. Have they no refuge or resource? cried Scrooge. Are there no prisons? said the spirit, turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve. Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the predictions of old Jacob Marley, and lifting upon his eyes beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. Fuck. This book is creepy. Ignorance and want. Jesus Christ. Like, their their drawings are... are not good. Well, they are good, but they're terrifying. This book is, this book is fucking creepy. You know, I was starting to think about, like, like, I'm reading these passages, and I can't help but think back to times when I read similar books in, like, school, and just having the preface be like, what do you think this passage means? And, first of all, I bet there's, you know, a bunch of fucking symbolism and stuff in here and whatever, and yes, he's obviously talking about grander themes and whatnot, but I fucking hated that in school where it's like, what do you, what do you think, what do you think the author's original, original intent with this passage was? Who gives a fuck? Nobody knows, unless he specifically told us. And what he specifically says, that's what it means. Oftentimes, it just means nothing. Sometimes, it's just a nice-sounding phrase, you know? There's no deeper meaning. And adding deeper meaning, I think, is dumb. Unless there's, like, you know, you can look into it, you can read into it all you fucking want, but there's no one way to interpret anything. So that's that's my stance on it. But thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of The Going Upcast. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday, and I hope you all have a wonderful start to the new year, because, fuck, that shit starts tomorrow. 2020, get excited. And I will see you all next week for stay four of the Christmas Carol and a bunch of other stuff. Have a good one, everyone. I just want to chime in one more time here at the end and say Happy New Year for all of you out there. 2019 for me was a pretty goddamn good year. I met a lot of incredible new people that I'm very happy to call friends. I went to a lot of incredible places, and I'm very fortunate to have had the year that I've had. I know internationally 2019 might not have been the best year, but for for me it was it was pretty goddamn good, and I'm very much looking forward to 2020. I've got like a list of mental goals that I want to hit in 2020. I don't really fall into that whole New Year's resolution thing. Uh, I personally believe that if there's something in your life you're not happy with, you shouldn't have to wait for the the calendar to refresh or for the Monday of the new week to start. Like, if you want to change something about yourself, then change it, you know? Why wait for tomorrow when you can do it today? That kind of, that kind of attitude has always been high on my list. And I, I do recognize that the, the, the new calendar can often be a jolt start for people. Uh, So this is me right here at the end being that reminder that tomorrow is a new year. Whole brand new year. Your calendar you got on the wall, shit's out of date. You're going to have to go get a new one. It is 2020. It is the new year. And there's no better time to change, to improve, to try something new than right now. Because everybody's doing it. That's the thing everybody's doing it brand new star of the year everyone's gonna be like i'm gonna do one new thing every day get together with your buds make ask each other what what was your new thing today make sure they fucking did something you know hold them accountable if somebody says they're gonna go to the gym fucking go with them be their gym buddy shit's way more fun when you got a buddy to do things with you know if somebody's gonna start eating healthy maybe you know Maybe you share some recipes. Maybe you get in on the action. Somebody wants to travel, fucking go with them. The world's dope. You got to get outside and see that shit. I got I got a bunch of day trips I want to do in 2020. I want to go back to Deception Pass. I want to go to Bellingham. I want to see Diablo Lake. I want to go across the peninsula. Like, I want to get out and do shit again. It's been, it's been so long. The days are cold and dark. 
but they are getting longer again because we're past the 21st. The days are lengthening once more. You have more time in the day. Get out there. 2020 is here. It is time for us to enjoy it. Speaking of enjoying things, I want to thank you all so much for listening to the Going Upcast this year. Next year, it'll be more Going Upcast, more audiobooks, more Game of Thrones. It's just going to go on and on until it doesn't. (laughs) But I don't see that happening anytime soon. Thank you all very much. I hope you all have a very happy new year. Stay safe. If you're if you're boozing, don't be cruising. That's that's what I say. No cruise boozing. Or booze cruising. Don't drink and drive. There we go. You can drink, but fucking just stay there. Just stay. Unless it's a bar, in which case, call an Uber or something. Just figure it out. Just stay safe. And uh, if you're not drinking, then uh, have fun doing whatever you're doing. And I'll see you all next year. I get it. Now, I'll just see you guys in a week. Um, or, if you're listening to Going Cap- Upcast, I'll see you tomorrow, because those are daily episodes. Or daily chapters. Now, I'm tired. It's it's very late. It's 9... Well, not very late. 9.42. Um, the day before Christmas Eve. So, I gotta, I gotta get this up online. Thank you all very much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Happy New Year, everyone.